and welcome on into Moving the Chains, episode 11. That's right, we've got 11 of these. I'm Mitt Malik, as always, joined here this week by Zach Wingrove and Will Greer. Uh, just a scheduling note, we're going to do an abbreviated version of Moving the Chains, specifically Northwestern, and then a little bit about our favorite segment every week. Uh, remind you, this week is Sportsathon here at WNUR Sports, uh, our way of raising money for our station uh, really big for us, and we're taking over the airwaves on WNUR this week. Uh, 24 hours, we have a lot of great games set up. We'll be doing a live edition of Moving the Chains on Saturday that Will Greer will actually be taking the reins on. So if you want a full college football fix, this isn't enough for you. Make sure you tune in on Saturday. Will, anything you want to add about Sportsathon? Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. It's actually because the night football game is going to be like 28 hours if you care yeah. about that four-hour differential. A lot of game shows in the afternoon Saturday. A great chance for us to, to have some fun and be sports goofs, as we often are. But it's a fun time. And if you have any money and you're listening to this podcast, <coughs> donate away. A couple of if good you're, prizes. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a big fan of our yeah. station or what we do. Or maybe one of the three of us. If either of those three things are true, you know, consider helping us out this weekend. We would be very appreciative. Under Armour Polos, if you donate 80 bucks. Be pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. Looking forward to it. Nothing, nothing better than a clean polo. It's gonna be good. Yeah. You get all three premiums for a hundred dollars. Long sleeve black T-shirt, laptop sticker. I'll stop the sales pitch, but <laughs> you know the drill. <laughs> you know the drill. That being said, let's talk about some Northwestern football, guys. That's why we're here. Uh, this team, just a just a fun little run. Three overtime games in a row. Never been done before. Uh, in FBS history. It's, it's insane. They beat Nebraska 31-24. I want your big picture takeaways from what this win means for the season, and then we'll go into the game a little bit. And just, I know it's weird with the expectations, having lost those two big games. Is this a positive season for Northwestern? I think it has to be. I mean, just looking at, yes, I know everyone was overreacting after the Penn State game, but aside from that one game against Duke early in the season, Northwestern has done everything that they've been expected to do, and then some. People didn't expect them to beat Michigan State. They didn't expect them to beat even Nebraska last week. They were underdogs. So not only have they been exceeding what the experts were were thinking about them, but they've proven that they are in this upper tier of Big Ten West teams. By all accounts, they're going to be favored in their their final three games of the season. And I think, you know, a nine-win season for this program would be just absolutely incredible coming off of a 10-win season two years ago. A little bit of a dip last season, but just being able to build that consistency by Pat Fitzgerald, I think it definitely has to be a positive for this program. Rankings are overrated. We all know, I think, in this room, collectively, the rankings are overrated. But you look in hindsight now, and this team has two top 20 college football playoff ranking wins. Iowa's clearly better than we thought they were. Michigan State is clearly much, much better than we thought they were. When we were playing Michigan State, Will, you said that's the worst ranked team you've seen. I did. And you were exaggerating a little, but I think it was fair at the time. We didn't really know at the time. And now you have wins over Michigan State, who who beat Penn State this last week. You beat Iowa, who clobbered Ohio State. It stinks, I think, that this team had to play Wisconsin and Penn State when they did. kind of feels like if the Badgers were somehow coming to Ryan Field this weekend with all this momentum, you might be able to pull the upset. You can't do anything about the scheduling. This team's beaten who's been on their schedule since early October. The Duke loss really sucks in hindsight because 10-2 and two would very much uh, be within reach. But let's not worry about the past. 9-3 and three is 9-3. and three. All three games left on this schedule really should be wins. 
Yeah, sure. Successful season. I think that's fair to say. I just wanted to, to, address, to address that question. Yeah, it's I think, not like it's a great season. It's yeah, I think it's you, a good season. You remember the expectations around this program at the beginning of the season and think it could have been better. But given what's happened, they took 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 care of business. Let's talk about this Nebraska game. A uh, little bit of a slower game than what we we've seen. Kind of more like regulation earlier. Northwestern offense was okay, but the bad, pretty bad third quarter got it together at the end. The defense ultimately ended up catapulting this team. That Gaziano and Iguabuque play was just huge. Uh, I was reading Northwestern had the third best comeback in terms of FPI percentage, which don't look at the metrics too much, but I'll explain it. Before that interception play, the Cats had a 7% chance to win the game because Nebraska was in the Northwestern red zone. They were already up a touchdown. There were like 9 or 10 minutes left in the fourth. Things were not looking good, and that play really sparked the offense to go down the field, tie up the game, and then eventually win in overtime. Uh, but this game maybe should have been a loss again. I mean, without that turnover, Huskers go up two possessions there late. Probably not looking good for Northwestern. It's just an incredible team. It certainly feels like a team of destiny at this point of the year. Yeah, and it never ceases to amaze me how this team plays to its level of competition every single week. You saw them battling tough with Iowa and Michigan State. And then, the I mean... This week or this past week against Nebraska, just couldn't get anything going. Um, it felt like on third down, one for eleven on the day, and then all of a sudden it gets to overtime, and you know late in the game, and the Cats just turn it on, and they it felt like they were the better team throughout most of this game. You were, that's what made it so frustrating. Thorson just seemed a little jittery back in the pocket, but I mean they got it done by all accounts. When you look at the stats, outgained Nebraska. Shouldn't have been this close of a game, but the fact that, as Will alluded to, the team of destiny, they got it done when it mattered, and. Uh, being able to go into a tough environment uh, like Lincoln, Nebraska, and come away with a win can never be understated. To your point about this team playing to its level of competition, Zach, I think all three of us in this room expect three straight wins to end the year. All three maybe by one possession each, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, go to Illinois and win 17-10. Maybe beat Purdue by five points. Beat Minnesota by a touchdown. They're not necessarily good enough to pull away, but there's just something about this team that you have this level of confidence that they're going to get it done when when – the clock shows triple zeros, or I guess in the case of overtime, the clock shows final because there's no Doesn't, time last three Do you weeks. guys think that overtime helps this team just because they're not that good at scoring on long drives and something about a short field helps them? I don't know if there's too much to read into that, but yeah. it's certainly they've executed very well in all three if, all three. If you games. look at the numbers, Thorson in overtime, 6 of 8, 92 yards, 2 touchdowns, uh, while adding 2 more rushing touchdowns. So maybe it is just the shorter field allows... Northwestern, the, I mean, the pressure of knowing that, you know, just a, a couple yards at a time each play. Uh, they've done a decent job, I felt like, limiting third downs um, on these overtime drives. Yeah, um, yeah. But And when it is a fourth down, it seems like it's always a fourth and short, and uh, Northwestern had, always has that go-to play in their back pocket with the Thorson quarterback sneak. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it might just have something to do with the play calling and that, you know, Mick McCall isn't, doesn't have so much pressure in trying to gain all 10 yards at once he knows that they have this field goal charlie kubander's been <coughs> fairly solid but they've just done a good job breaking up uh, the yards on each play and limiting these third and longs and fourth and longs it almost reminds me of a baseball team that hits singles and scores their runs via five or six singles because this team has not shown the ability to go down the field and have explosive 60 70 yard uh, plays so when you only have to pick up two first downs plus five or six more yards 
it puts this team in a much better position. So, yeah, I think there's certainly something to that. You only really need two 10-ish yard plays, and then you can punch it in. And as you said, Zach, there really haven't been too many third, fourth down situations. The Cam Green touchdown on the second play of the first overtime against Michigan State comes to mind. Uh, the Nebraska sneak on fourth and one <coughs> certainly comes to mind as a high-leverage play. But in the Iowa-Michigan State games, it feels like this team was scoring much more early in overtime. So just to, to make that baseball analogy, I don't know if it really makes too much sense. It kind of makes sense in my mind. This team's not a huge chunk kind of team. So, yeah, to only have to go 25 yards puts them in a pretty good position. They haven't had to settle for a field goal once. It's yeah, incredible. It really is. And now five overtimes the last three weeks. Anything else you guys learned from this game um, I think for me, the big storylines throughout conference play has been the offensive line. Could they, can they have they stepped up? And I think it's been fair to say. How do you guys feel about the offensive line, given their quality of opposition the last few games? Yeah, I would say the offensive line, based on the heat that they were receiving after those Wisconsin and Penn State games, really has stepped up. And as I, I, I alluded to it earlier with Thorson, I, I didn't know what really what was going on in the third quarter because I thought he had some decent time in the pocket. Um, to throw, but he, he just wasn't, I don't know what, what, whether it was the communication with the tough environment he was playing in or what, but he, he had time, it felt like, and just wasn't making the throws, which is unlike the Clayton Thorson that we've seen um, in some of these big games in the past. And, um, but running the ball has been great, too. Jackson has kind of had a resurgence after kind of a dip in those Wisconsin-Penn State games. You've really seen the Justin Jackson that we've all become accustomed to. Could be a t I think that's a testament too to the run blocking, um, as well as Jackson's ability to to make plays and elude um, elude defenders. He's so shifty, but yeah, I would say I'm I've been impressed with how the offensive line has rebounded after those first two Big Ten matches. Yeah. It's been much better. Yeah, Justin Jackson averaged five yards a carry, which was great. Jeremy Larkin also six point nine yards a carry, nice. But Jeremy Larkin certainly looked impressive. Everyone's been raving about him. Well, the other unit that I have. You know, keep my eye on progression wise throughout the season has been the secondary. Obviously, Northwestern's back half of the secondary, Kyle Carroll, Garwood, and Gabuke, outstanding studs, but the quarterbacks, not so much. How have they kind of held up to you so far? I think Northwestern's gotten lucky, at least from what I saw in the Iowa and Michigan State games firsthand. I can think of at least seven combined drops. instances where there were <laughs> drops, there were guys wide open over the middle would-be touchdown plays where the receiver just wasn't quite on the same page as his quarterback. That's what it's going to take, I'm afraid, for this team to win. You saw it a couple times with Tanner Lee. It didn't feel like Nebraska went deep all too often. If I were an offensive coordinator against Northwestern's quarterbacks right now, go deep like one out of every ten plays. I know it's not a hugely high percentage kind of play, but they're getting beat continuously. And so, yeah, while Iguabuke and Cairo were outstanding in this game, I think the Cats are just going to have to hope, A, the opposition doesn't have a great quarterback throwing the long ball, or B, that that quarterback just isn't quite on the same page with his receivers. It's what it's going to come down to. This team's still very, very vulnerable to the deep pass play if it's executed well. It's just frustrating, yeah, as Will mentioned. Some of the, some of the breakdowns that we're seeing in the secondary, uh, I think on Nebraska's uh, first touchdown of the game, a 22-yard touchdown, Jared McGee oh, got beat, and he's a safety. Just the guy ran right by him, and as a safety, just don't let the guy behind you when you're 20 yards away from the end zone. And it's just breakdowns like that, simple um, little things. Montre Hardage, I was expecting a kind of a breakout year for him, especially when you heard the Keith Watkin, Watkins news at the beginning. You would think that I thought that Montre would be able to step up and kind of embrace in his second year. He's had a year of experience against some of these Big Ten receivers. He's been getting picked on the last two games, and we'll see if he can bounce back. But, yeah, credit to Cairo and Igwebuke for – 
I mean, holding this group together, you know, by the thinnest of strands, but it's yeah. uh, it's been tough to uh, and, and tough to watch. Certainly, the other defensive narrative has been the emergence of those linebackers. Front seven of whole has been good, but especially Patty Fisher, Nate Hall. I wouldn't say Nate Hall's emerged, but they've certainly held their own as a unit. And now, kind of are a real strength of this defense. Yeah, big time. It's a really good defense. Yeah, yeah. two yeah. tackles for loss for Nate Hall. If you want a stat to back that up. There's my no, stat. They're good, good. and they, they hold up to the eye test as yeah. well. Patty Fisher flies to the ball. Could already be one of the best young linebackers in the Big Ten. That about wraps it up for this game. Not too much to say. Oh, I have one more thing. If okay. you all want to play America's hottest new game, are you in before you know? Yeah, yeah we're in now. All right, the game is called What is Pat Fitzgerald's, Pat Fitzgerald's Career Record in Overtime? 11 games since 2006. What do you think? Seven and four. Let's go six and five. Zach has it. Three and five entering this year. Wow. So he's won his last three. Don't know if there's anything to that. Almost <laughs> surely there isn't anything to that. But Well, also, you know, this is very reductionist, but close game luck tends to be ra- rather random across football. I'm not going to talk about other sports. Just football. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, sh- like, that's a pretty well-known mm-hmm. statistic. Mm-hmm. But that certain teams have shown themselves to be consistently better. In the NFL, obviously the model is the Patriots have, for years, been better than average and never regressed to the mean. I think in football there's a few more teams that can do that just because of the, the coaching talent disparity. But I think to say 3-5, and 6-5, and five, rand, randomness is pretty much it. Yeah, You need a much larger sample size to evaluate Fitz on his overtime abilities. I mean, you can tell he certainly this year, like, as we, we were talking about it earlier, has confidence in his group going into overtime. I mean, the fact that against Iowa and Michigan State, he chose not to play for the win at the end of the fourth quarter. This game, he really did only because Justin Jackson broke off a 12-yard run on a play where he was just trying to run the clock out. And, uh, and, he, and then he decided to go for it at the end of the game. But it shows that this year, maybe it's something about this group, as we mentioned with the offense, only having to go, to go 25 yards in overtime. I mean, Pat Fitzgerald, <coughs> he has confidence in his group this well, year in overtime. Yeah. Maybe there, there's something to that. Maybe there is, and maybe he, he thinks his team is just better built for that. But that about wraps it up for Nebraska. Thanks for that very interesting little tidbit there, Will. Had to get it in. I want to ask you now, Will. Uh, I'm bringing you in as the ah, geez, the Northwestern Bowl expert. Didn't want to didn't want to be too broad. I think that's very that. specific. Yeah. I shouldn't say North. All right, you were going to cut that little 10-second t- bit. Okay, 14, Okay. Well, I'm bringing you in because you know a little bit about where Northwestern might end up in a bowl. We know they're bowl eligible. What can we expect Northwestern to end? What's their ceiling? What's their bottom? And then where do you have them? Uh, very good question. So this is largely dependent on what happens to the teams at the top of the Big Ten in terms of how many teams are going to make the college football playoff. I think the ceiling was a really solid, maybe even a New Year's Day game until last week when you saw Penn State and Ohio State go down. So a lot of things are shuffling out. It'll be dependent on how many Big Ten teams make the college football playoff in those New Year Six, uh, New Year Six bowl games because obviously if Ohio State and Penn State don't make the New Year Six, everybody else gets bumped down because those teams have to take more regular bowl games for lack of a better term. But to answer your question, I think the ceiling is either the tax slayer 
or the uh, the Music City Bowl, the Big Ten and ACC have a flip-flop kind of deal. It's not year-specific at all. It's whatever happens in that specific year. But an ACC team will go to Music City, for instance, and then the Big Ten will go to Tax Slayer and vice versa. So those games are kind of interchangeable. Music City is on the 29th of December in Nashville. Tax Slayer is on the 30th in Jacksonville. They're very similar games, both against SEC teams. You're looking at LSU, South Carolina, that kind of team in either Nashville or Jacksonville. Uh, I'd say the floor would probably be the Foster Farms Bowl, which is in Santa Clara. You're playing a middling Pac-12 team, probably a Stanford or a Washington State, 5th, 6th, 7th in the Pac-12, think that. Uh, and then right in the middle would be the Holiday Bowl, which is a step up from Foster Farms. You're getting a better Pac-12 team, so we'll say Stanford instead of Washington State in the Holiday. So I, I think it's a very good chance that they'll go to one of those three games, which all three are pretty fun. They're post-Christmas. Uh, Foster Farms would be the worst, I think, because it's on the 27th of December. As you get later in December and into January, you get a better bowl game, obviously. But I'm talking too much about this at this point. Tax Slayer, Music City, Holiday, and Foster Farms. Those are the three. I think it'll be one of those three. Great. You heard it here from Will Greer. Um, we'll have more developments as this season wears on. But looking like Northwestern probably going to win out find itself in one of those bowls. Again, it depends on what Wisconsin, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Penn State do because if those teams fail to make the New Year's Six slash college football playoff, then everybody gets bumped down a couple spots. So I still think Foster Farms is the floor, but Northwestern should be pulling for those teams to win and make the New Year's Six so they get bumped up, they get a better bowl game. Let's talk about now Northwestern's game this weekend, 6 p.m. kickoff on Saturday. Wildcats facing Purdue Boilermakers. Not a very good team, and they just lost their starting quarterback for out for the rest of the season. Is that Blau? That's David yeah. Blau. Okay. So Purdue now four and five will be sending Elijah Sindelar into Ryan Stadium. He's a transfer, isn't he? That's yeah. a familiar name. Um we'll see well let's talk about this. You know, I don't I don't think any of us here are gonna to profess to be Purdue experts. None of us are on the call. But we know Purdue's defense is solid, as you you mentioned to me, Zach. What can we kind of expect from this game? Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about it earlier. I would expect, just having watched this Northwestern team this year, a closer game than people think. The line is only six points, so I guess the experts also are considering it to be a close game. But, I mean, yeah, it's a much improved Purdue team from what we've seen in the past. Although two years ago when Purdue came into Ryan Field, they gave the Wildcats quite a scare. Um, in that game, you get to see some late game heroics from, I believe, Zach, <coughs> Zach Oliver in that game due to an injury uh, from Thorson. But yeah, it's a Purdue team that has played its op- opponents closer than uh, closer than people have expected. Gave Michigan a, a scare early in the season when Michigan was still undefeated. Um, but yeah, the blow to to losing Blau I think is going to be big just because, as we were talking about earlier, the biggest weakness to this Northwestern team has to be the secondary. So. Having a quarterback that maybe not be that may not be as accurate as Blau, I, I believe Sindelar, um, lower completion percentage, just less experience um, in the pocket. That's huge for Northwestern. I think that could be the X factor heading in. Is just the fact that you know in the past couple of weeks, there's Northwestern has gotten picked apart by quarterbacks from time to time, and just facing a lesser talent at the quarterback position is going to be big for this Wildcats group. Um, I won't proclaim to know Purdue, and I'm just looking back at some box scores. I don't know if. Blau did not play the whole game because he was injured or if they benched him, but Blau has not played quite a few games this year. He has not played the entire game. 
They only put up nine points at Wisconsin. Blau did not play at all. They put up 12 points against Rutgers, and he took about <laughs> half the snap. So Sindelar has had quite a bit of experience this year. Again, really don't know if that's because Blau has been beat up or if because uh, Purdue has wanted to go with the backup over the starter, Blau. So this is not anything too new for Purdue to start Sindelar. He's not a transfer. I was totally off on that. He's a sophomore. Doesn't look to be great. Their defense is top 20 in the nation. They allow less than 19 points per game. So this is going to be a game probably in the low 20s, high teens. Cats probably aren't good to win by more than a score. Purdue's not bad enough to lose by more than a score. It'll be a touchdown game. Sounds about right. Sindelar, 53.3 completion percentage. Not great. Seven touchdowns, five interceptions. You know, he's he's all right. That's pretty much it. I think Northwestern definitely benefits because Sindelar is not the type of quarterback that's going to make their quarterbacks pay. Yes. Yeah. Which is what we talked about earlier. I mean, that's the best news for a Northwestern defense, that the opposition does not have a quarterback that can beat you with the deep ball. And on, on the other side of the ball, I think Purdue also has some injuries with uh, their top cornerback and linebacker, T.J. McCollum at linebacker. Um had been banged up, I know, previously from injury as long as quarterback uh, Dewan Hunt. So, you know, even if they even if they do are able to suit up against Northwestern, having those guys not at 100% um, could be a, an area that Northwestern could look to attack on Saturday night. And just to cap this off, Sindelar has four starts this year. Blau has five. So it's not necessarily like oh, Purdue 100% back doesn't have their, their, their best big-time starting quarterback. I mean, these guys have both been thoroughly mediocre, so... Purdue offense probably will not be great. Probably won't score more than 17, 20 points, but uh, who who knows? I mean, let's let's hear some predictions. Neither of us are on the call on Saturday. It'll be Henry Demore on play-by-play, Matt McHugh on color, Darren Zaslow, I believe, on the sidelines. What do you guys have for the predictions for some November Saturday night football? Which, if I may say so myself, don't do it. Just don't do it here, in Evanson. It's too cold. It's going to be electric. It's going to be that 35 and kick is what it's going to be. <laughs> Ryan Field crowd. Um, I've got Northwestern 24, Purdue 13. I think Northwestern covers the spread. Um, the offense doesn't look great, but gets the job done, and the defense is able to uh, shut down Sindelar. Um, I don't know what I have. I'll say 24-17, something really generic. This will be a boring football game. will never really be in doubt, but it also will never be a blowout. feel pretty strongly about that. Sounds about right. Spreads uh, down to four points, too, for what that's worth. It's dropped two points in the last couple of days, so don't know what that says either. Hopefully Northwestern doesn't lose. <laughs> that would be that would be, that would would be be really bad if Northwestern did. I think they'll be fine in this one. We'll see uh, how, how, how it goes on Saturday night. Tune in. Um, what do y'all think the ratings will be with Notre Dame, Miami, and TCU, Oklahoma simultaneously being broadcasted? Is, is this on ESPN2 or BTN? This is on ESPN2. Oh, the ESPN game is Alabama at Mississippi State, which is a top 16 matchup yeah, but by virtue of Mississippi State being 16. That could be over by halftime, and then we could True. get some viewers tuning into uh, Northwestern. More realis- realistically, though, I mean, between that North- Notre Dame-Miami game... This is this is the least you, you know biggest game on anyone's radar. Sure, uh, there are sure a lot of this, good games. How this landed a prime time spot on ESPN too? I uh, maybe people are maybe are people are assuming based on Northwestern's past three weeks that viewers are going to get a fun game, possibly an overtime matchup, an exciting one for the fans on Saturday night. We beat out West Virginia Kansas State, which is in the two thirty window on ESPN two. We beat out Florida State Clemson. 
I don't know. Florida State Clemson's two thirty on ESPN, so maybe we didn't get <coughs> that out. I don't know who we beat out to have prime time, but we beat out someone. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. Uh, well, that about wraps it up for this Purdue game. Tune in if you want. If you're a neutral fan, probably watch something else. But if you're a Northwestern fan, hey, tune in to us. We'll have, we'll have the call. We're going to wrap up this abbreviated Movie the Chains with my favorite segment every week. It's the Lock of the Week. ADT Lock of the Week. Lock your house. Lock your pick. It was an okay week for the station last week. We were 1-1. One one. Uh, Andrew Bowen locked LSU at plus 21.5 over Bama. The Tigers covered. Good job there, Andrew. Matt McHugh locked Penn State at minus 7.5 over Michigan State. Spartans won outright. Not sure we saw that coming, but you know what? Wasn't wasn't looking at the metrics. Uh, station as a whole, 16-6-1 on our locks, which I think is pretty good. I think that's the range we want to be getting in. We have Will Greer, a proponent of metrics, and Zach Wingrove, pretty good at winning WNR competitions in general, I'd yeah. say. So I'm expecting some good things out of you guys this week. I think we've both been pretty solid this year on this Lock of the Week segment, for the most part. Yeah. I'm ready to give a surefire yeah, let's, lock. Let's start with you, Will. Give, give me your Lock of the Week. I know what you're thinking. You feel a little guilty picking and putting money on a Sunbelt team against an SEC team in early November, but... I'm telling you, if you need to make some serious cash this week, if you got to pay a mortgage, got to pay a car loan, student loan, et cetera, I'm talking serious, serious cash to be made. Throw a couple grand on Louisiana Lafayette covering a 19.5-point spread at Ole Miss. Metrics, you just mentioned. I'm a huge fan of metrics. Here's one for you. Coastal Carolina, 1-7 entering last week. They lost to Western Illinois earlier this year, 52-10. They had a two-touchdown lead late at Arkansas last week. UMass playing with their backup third-string quarterback, 2-6 entering yet last week against Mississippi State, who was number 16 in the nation, by the way. UMass had a touchdown lead in the third quarter of that one. SEC teams do not get up. For these November games, these are bye weeks of sorts. They're not even studying any tape on Lafayette, I promise you, down in Oxford. And oh, by the way, Ole Miss isn't exactly a powerhouse in the SEC this year. Lafayette plus 19.5 all the freaking day. Easiest pick of the year. Give me the Sun Belt against the SEC in November. I don't care who's playing who. It's Sun Belt versus SEC. It's almost a three touchdown spread. It's absolutely ludicrous. There you and, heard it. And Durant. Wow. Louisiana Lafayette, put put some money on. <laughs> I don't know if I can beat that, but I'm going to try with some Pac-12 after dark. Washington at Stanford, Friday night, 9.30 p.m. kickoff time. Washington travels to Stanford, and I like Washington minus 5.5 to, uh, to cover that win. <laughs> win by more than 5.5. Stanford just... Hasn't been great overall. I don't like any of those Pac-12 teams. Washington laid one egg against Arizona State. Other than that, has has looked really good lately. And the biggest X factor for me is how are you going to stop Bryce Love? Washington is six in uh, all NCAA rushing defenses, allowing just over 91 yards per game. I think that they're able to stifle Love on the road in Stanford. Give me Washington. That's that's Minus five and a half. I'll I'll take your word for it, Zach. We'll, We'll see. I'm not feeling great about it. But I feel great about I don't feel as great as Will does about Well, how can Sunbelt, anyone be as great about Sunbelt versus SEC in November? I'm trying to find what time this game is so I can watch it on Saturday. <laughs> Lafayette might win the football game. They're getting 19 and a half. Don't sleep on Lafayette. Any bonus picks from you guys? 11 a.m. kick. Wake up, watch it. Yep. 
Um, I got Iowa plus 12.5 at Wisconsin. Um, just seems like it's going to be a, a kind of a low-scoring, typical uh, Big Ten November game, defensive uh, slugfest. Maybe there may not be more than 17, 20 points scored by Wisconsin in this game, so all you need is a touchdown from Iowa. I, I like them to uh, to not win the game but lose by less than uh, 12 and a half. I will take, and I usually don't take locks that have this small of a spread, but I feel pretty strongly about this. And This if, is the bonus. This not is the bonus, sure. a lock. Okay, so if the Sunbelt SEC matchup was not on the slate for this week, uh, week 12, or week 11, I should say, I would go with this. BC plus three against <coughs> NC State. Wolfpack just had a brutal stretch of Notre Dame and Clemson. They thought they might be going to the college football playoff, if not an ACC uh, Atlantic Division win. Really close, tough loss against Clemson last week. Have to go to Chestnut Hill now in an 11 a.m. kick. BC's no slouch this year. Wolfpack are, are infamous for these kinds of letdowns. I think BC wins the football game, and they're getting three points. We'll see. Always tough to go up there. I'm sure it'll be freezing for NC State. Well, that about wraps it up for us, guys. It's been an abbreviated version of Moving the Chains. But thanks a lot to Will Greer and Zach Woodgrove for coming on. I'm Amit Malik. Reminder one last time, make sure you tune in to WR at some point this weekend for our Sportsathon. We'll have a live college game day-esque edition of Moving the Chains at 11 a.m. on Saturday, hosted by Will Greer. We'll have some other live podcasts. We'll be going for 28 hours. And then, of course, our... Big 6 p.m. kickoff against Purdue. Henry DeBoer, Matt McHugh on the call. Thanks for listening so far to Moving the Chains, Episode 11. Tune in on Saturday and tune in next week.